Welcome to Getting Common with Professor Carlos Chapman. Getting Common covers a variety of topics and features guests from business, law, politics, government, education, and some of the most insightful entrepreneurs. It's a refreshing, common-sense approach to some of the most important discussion points today. Now, here is your host, Carlos Chapman. Good morning, everyone. I am Carlos Chapman, and I'm your host of Getting Common. In my day job, I'm an associate professor at Washington and Lee University School of Law in Lexington, Virginia. Today's episode is a part of our entrepreneurship series, and I will be highlighting our first entrepreneurship couple. Krishan owns and operates several businesses in Washington, D.C., including Bike Club DMV, and Nora, his wife, is the owner of Native Beauty Company, also in Washington, D.C., now let's get into the discussion. Krishan and Nora, I gave a brief introduction of you and your companies, but I would love to hear your so-called elevator pitch. Um, Nora, how do you introduce yourself and your business? Well, I'm Nora Piraglu. I've been a licensed esthetician for 20 years, and I specialize in waxing, facials, and massage. Uh, we offer those services at my shop, Native Beauty, and we strive to use products that are naturally sourced and environmentally responsible. So that is one of the things. Also, I'm a native Washingtonian, and I'm very proud to have a business in my hometown. And we've been open for six years now. All right. And Krishan, how do you introduce yourself in the business? My name is Krishan Addison. I'm the owner of Bike Club. Um, we provide affordable food and beverages for everyone. We are inclusive. We serve communities. You are Bike Club. So I'm the proud owner of Bike Club. Been in the business for about a year and a half. Started it in the middle of the pandemic. Um, wanted to find a better way for individuals to come together, dine, and be able to enjoy great food, craft beers, um, craft cocktails and food at an affordable price that everyone can afford. All right. Now, Krishan, what did you do before you start, started Bike Club? So before I started Bike Club, I've been in the restaurant industry for 13 years. Um, I started out as a dishwasher, uh, worked my way up to um, in a kitchen manager from there, a sous chef, an executive chef, and then went the other route and started on the other side, as they say, crossed over to the uh, front of the house, um, worked as a restaurant manager, um, then also a bar manager, um, assistant general manager, and then a general manager of various restaurants. All right. And Nora, how about you? What did you do before you, you struck out and started your own shop? Uh, I graduated from college and thought I wanted to be a doctor and realized that I'm not really good with sick people in hospitals. And so I did retail, um, I did bartending, and then I decided to go to beauty school or cosmetology school, uh, realized that I'm a terrible hairstylist, uh, wasn't good with manicures or pedicures. And one of my friends said, hey, you really like doing eyebrows and popping pimples. Why don't you become an esthetician? And I said, wait, people get paid for that? And so I went to aesthetic school. Um, then I worked for Aveda, Blue Mercury, you know, larger spas. And then I decided to go out on my own. Now, I think it is rare um, for people to have 
two entrepreneurs in the same household at the same time. Um, I talk to a lot of people who, you know, one spouse is an entrepreneur, the other person has the day job for the insurance and stuff. Or, you know, one person, like someone's an entrepreneur now, but then the other person gets a day job and then the other person becomes an entrepreneur and they trade off. How are y'all able to make it work where both of you are entrepreneurs at the same time? I think the biggest thing is um, communication. I mean, I think that's number one. Um, understanding each other's schedules. Um, that's the huge thing. Um, and making sure that you're listening. Um, a lot of times, you know, Nora's like, hey, did you hear me? And I'm like, yeah, 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 sure I did. And, and obviously I didn't. And, you know, and so, you know, that type of um, communication causes friction in the couple. Uh, I find out the more that um, I listen and she's like, hey, I think this is a good idea. And I'm like, I'm gonna do it my own way. And then I come back and I'm like, no, babe, I should have listened to you. So I think listening is very critical um, to a relationship and being able to balance um, the entrepreneurship with both of us. And communication is highly important. You've got to be able to express your feelings in a manner where, hey, I just had a hard day. Okay, that's a signal to me to be like, okay, babe, I'm going to go fix dinner or let me do this because I'm trying to make sure that I'm understanding where her feelings are and also where her mood is. Because I can't just go in and be like, okay, so I need to do this. And that No, that it doesn't work for us like that. I think also, too, you can't have two startup businesses at the same time. Um, he has been such a supportive partner. You have to have a supportive partner. Um, like the things you were saying, you know, the fact that he did have a nine-to-five job and we were able to have insurance and he was able to adjust his schedule and I'm able to adjust my schedule um, you, you have to do that. And I think once my business was stable and I felt like, all right, we're good. This is a viable source of income. It allowed him to be able to step out there. Um, I think it's also very important, um, plan. You have to plan, you have to, you know, save, you have to pay off debt. You have to, um, really know your craft before you decide to open a business. And like, Chris was saying communication. I can't. I can't give him the silent treatment. You know, we have to be able to talk to each other, even when it's difficult conversations. There have been times where I've been like, you know what, we can't do this this month because this is the slow time for my business, or vice versa. I have an engagement. I can't do this. So that's really, really important. Yeah, and also just to, you know, just to piggyback on that and just to be clear, like, you know, um, as we're talking, as we're engaging, like we do have times where we disagree. We do have times where, you know, she may come home and I don't listen to that signal or she or I may come home and she doesn't listen to that signal. So, you know, by all means, it doesn't always work, you know what I mean, in, in a smooth fashion. So, you know, I think the great thing is knowing your partner, you know, that's a huge part. And knowing, you know, when it's time to say, okay, I'm going to go upstairs, you're going to go downstairs, let me think about this, and let's come back together and let's try to figure it out. So I think that's a big part of it is knowing when to give your partner space and knowing when to pull back, but also knowing when to engage and be able to, um, you know, try to start that communication. You know, there are several interesting things in what y'all said. And, and, and the one thing that is like standing out to me is what Nora said about not having two startup businesses at the same time <laughs> and also knowing your craft. 
Um, and I'll start with the first one, the idea of not having two startups at the same time. Um, I would love for you to talk some more and the planning as well. Um, I'd love to elaborate a little more about, you know, why it's important if you're going to have two in the same household um, to do that planning and not have two startups at once. Um, and so you could have, like give me some examples or some discussion of, you know, how y'all structured it or we'll, I'll start with Nora with this one. Like, you know, at what stage of your business um, did you feel it was time or you were, it was possible for Chris to then also go start businesses? So this is actually my second business. Um, I opened a spa for the first time uh, 2005. I opened a, a spa and I had a business partner at the time. Now I wasn't married. I didn't have children. We were in a relationship, but like I said, we weren't married, we didn't have children. Once I had our first son, that changed everything. And um, I just realized it was a little hard for me to balance both at that time. I, I, either the business was suffering or I felt like my family was suffering. So I stepped back, went back. I, I just, I still had my own business, but I just rented out a room as opposed to a whole storefront. And I just saved and saved and saved and finally got to the point where I said, okay, um, you know, I think I'm ready to step back out there. And the space, it, it was really very um, organic how it happened. A space was available literally next door to the space that I was in. Oh, and I wow. took it. Yeah, I mean, and I, and I literally, I prayed on it. I said, God, show me. Like, if it's my time, show me. And a month later, the place became available. I was able to rent it out. And um, that's kind of how it happened. But we were in a good space. The relationship has to be solid and you have to feel, you know, that you, you have your, first of all, having your finances under control. You know, I think a lot of entrepreneurs uh, love to spend the money and justify it because I'm starting business, but you don't know how to make the money. And that's the trick. If you're not profitable after a certain point, you, what are you doing? If the whole point of a business is to be profitable. So once I saw, okay, people are coming, the, we're in the black now, I can hire other people, my children are older, I was able to make those moves and, and, and say, hey, you, if you don't want to go back to corporate, you don't have to. You know, I, what I love about this is the adulting. <laughs> As I like yes. to say, you know, yeah. I, I think so many entrepreneurs um, are, are kind of like kids in a candy store and think I can have what I want, what I when I want it. And I should only experience upward trajectory and I should never have to take a step back. Um, and I, I just love the way that the two of you have collaborated, you know, where you did take a step back when you had the kids, um, which meant that Chris had to keep working corporate because you had the kids adult decisions, right? Like yeah, sometimes yeah. you can't have exactly what you want when you want it, um, but you still still have an entrepreneurial spirit and you still have the drive to have your own business. It's just that you can't do everything that you want when you want you know, it. I, if you're I, I, I always ask people, because a lot of people now talk to me about starting businesses, you know, and especially in the line of work I do, I have a lot of people who come in and are like, girl, I, I hate my job. I'm about to start a business. And I'm like, okay, do you want a better job or do you want to start a business? 
Those are two <laughs> separate things. And you have to be very clear about that because if you think it's bad when your boss is going off on you, imagine a paying client and you, but you need that money, you need that income. So you got you, you have to be able to ask yourself the hard questions, ask your partner the hard questions and be honest about it. And sometimes that's tough. You know, I think especially uh, the way the economy works, things happen that are completely out of your control. Um, I started at Blue Mercury a few days after 9-11. And I was like, oh, my God, what, what have I done? This was when I really jumped out there as an esthetician. And I didn't have any other income. And it was terrifying. But, you know, you stuck through it. Again, savings. Be smart with your money. Don't jump out here and buy a $100,000 car because you want the write-off. And, you know, you'll, you'll be okay. All right. And then, Chris, I know that um, we've had talks about, you know, your decision of going from front of the house or restaurant management and kind of helping other people pursue their dreams um, to finally starting bike club and doing your own thing. Um, and I would like to talk you to talk about in addition, you know, what it was that led you to that decision, but why you are choosing to structure bike club in the way that you have structured it. Well, I think the, the biggest thing for me was um, as we've talked about before, you know um, I've been in the industry for 14 years um, I've helped a lot of people, um, but I've also gained a lot of knowledge from a lot of people um, working in different operations from a 24 hour operation to, you know, a regular nine to five working with, you know, um, chefs like Spike Mendelson and, you know, um, T- Teddy Folkman. So I've had an opportunity to work with a number of very talented chefs, but I've also had the, an opportunity to see through a window of how they work what businesses that they've been in that have been successful, what things that they've tried that haven't worked. And so, you know, I think I've had a bird's eye view and 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 it's been a training ground for me because while I worked for each of those businesses and each of those um, chefs, I still had my dream and my passion. I would still work on my dream and my passion um, and, you know, talking to my partner about it, always wanting to launch it, but realizing timing is everything, you know, timing is everything. And you have to, you know, as Nora said, you got to make sure your finances are ready. You got to make sure you're doing the, um, all the proper paperwork and the filing, but you also have to make sure that your craft, you're working at your craft, but you got to make sure that you have a product and a plan that people want. It's not something that you're just saying, you know, Hey, wow, I'm good at this. So I'm going to go ahead and do this. It has to be crafted in the fashion where people are desiring it and it has to make sure that you're making you're going to be able to make a profit off of it and so I think for me that was the one thing that led me to um, doing bike club and I think it was a blessing because working for different people creating different menus being on the line working at different times watching different chefs put stuff together it helped me and then also working that front of the house in different operations with different customer bases it helped me give me an idea of okay i want my business to be customer service orientated i want my business to be this this and this it allowed me to take pieces from each of those things where i worked at and craft a hybrid so when you look at Bike Club, Bike Club is a hybrid. It's not a restaurant. It's not a bar. 
it's catering, it's events, it's a little bit of everything that you pull from the food industry. And it's crafted into an experience that is one, you know, as I said in my tagline, it's affordable for everyone. Because so many times you go into a restaurant or you go into a place and you want to have a great meal and it's not affordable. It's not affordable for you, especially right now during the times of the pandemic. And right now where prices are up, gas is up, you're looking, you're looking to experience something affordable and you're looking at your budget. You're trying to balance whether you have kids or whether you don't have kids, you're trying to balance. And that's why I created Bike Club. I wanted to create something that everyone could enjoy not just black, not just white, not just whatever color. It's for everyone. And I wanted it to be inclusive. Um, it's something I learned about the restaurant business, being inclusive, but being exclusive at the same time where it's, hey, this is the way I'm going to prepare the food. This is the way we're going to make the cocktails. We are going to um, go ahead and allow room um, just in case, in case people have dietary or allergy restrictions. But I want you to be able to come into somewhere and try something different and new that you've never tried before and experience. If you don't like it, that's fine. But if you do, like I tell my kids, you've opened up a whole new world to be able to say, wow, I never thought about trying that before. So it opens up your palate, but it also opens up your mind to other things in, you know, internally. So can I also add that when you work for other people, especially in the field that like you want to go into, you have to be careful of being arrogant. I remember when I worked for other spas, I would say, you know what, when I get my spa, I'm going to do it this way because, you know, this doesn't make any sense. And you get out there and you're like, ah, I see why they did it a certain way, or I see why things are structured this way. And I think that's really important for um, entrepreneurs to understand. Also, it teaches you how to work under pressure. You know, what happens if your plumbing goes out? What are you going to do? How are you going to come? How are you going to handle the day from there? You know, are you going to be able to open that day? Do you have a plumber that you can call? These are all things that you have to kind of have ahead when you're working for someone else. I think that's the great thing about both of us. We were able to work in our industry and learn and see those things. Yeah, I also think it's great being hands-on too, you know, because as she said, you know, and she was speaking, when those emergencies come up, you know, I I can't tell you how many times I've been called at two or three in the morning and I think the restaurant's flooding. I think the heat went out. I think this, and had to like kind of, endure through those situations you know and they aren't all fun but they were very valuable lessons to me to realize okay i need to have this this and this in place and it's kind of you know the funny thing about it is it's kind of why i don't i I didn't start with a brick and mortar and i'm able to move at different restaurants into different event spaces because i know the those pitfalls and having those things as a startup business can be very detrimental. So, you know, it's one of those things of being able to control your costs and, mm-hmm. and, and balance that, but eliminate some of the emergency things that could inflate your costs at the same time. So I'd love to talk some more about knowing your craft and knowing your trade. Um, you know, before we started recording, you know, we were all telling stories of you know, you meet the person, you know, in their 20s who, you know, graduates from beauty school or graduates from cooking school or graduates from law school with my students. And it's like, all right, 
I learned what you told me. I want to do it totally differently than everybody else. And I'm just going to hang my shingle and start my business and jump out there. Um, and so I would love this. I'll start with Nora again. Um, you know, what does it take um, to, to run a successful salon um, that, you know, you think you wouldn't have known unless you'd spent some time working for someone else and learning the crap? Um, I think I was really fortunate at the places that I worked. Again, I think a lot of successful business is luck and timing and opportunity. And um, one of the places that I worked um, was with Blue Mercury. And that was started by a woman, um, a Harvard MBA. And I was able to really see the amount of work that she put in and how she dealt with her employees. Um, I also had an opportunity to work at a smaller spa, more like my spa, um, for a woman who is my mentor, uh, Paris Alexander. So that also allowed me to see, okay, how much money do I need to make a day to be profitable? Um, what about my timing? I, you know, I need to make a certain amount per hour. How am I going to do that? Um, what do I do if someone cancels at the last minute? How do you handle that? So I think it's, again, there's nothing wrong with coming out of school and starting your business, but there is something to be said for working in a business that is doing what you want to do. It's, it's grad school is great. Law school is great. But practice versus theory is very different. Um, and I think that's, that's the thing for me. I really had a lot of wonderful places I was able to work to get my timing down, to see what products were effective, to see what would upset clients. For example, we're here in Washington, D.C. I deal with a lot of executive and corporate women. They don't play around with their time. They want to be in, they want to be out, and that's that. Working at those places allowed me to see that and know, like, all right, book a little extra 15 minutes on so you can clean up, make sure you're not running behind, all of those different things. So um, I think it's great, like I said, if you want to go and start your business fresh out of school, but you've got to spend some time doing it and, and understanding it and actually seeing it because you can read it and study it and do that all day. But until you're actually in it, it nothing compares to that. Now, restaurants have a higher rate of failure than probably any other industry, right? Um, and, you know, food service is difficult, especially during the pandemic. Um, and so, Krishan, uh, what do you think, how are you able to weather the pandemic to even launch Bike Club during the pandemic? And how do you think getting that life experience and at every aspect of the restaurant industry helped you to launch a successful startup in the middle of a global pandemic? I think, you know, the first thing, the first thing is I was, I've been very blessed. I've been blessed to work with a number of just um, innovative thinkers from, you know, chefs to business owners. And I think, you know, um, having just the hard work ethic has put me in a, in a place where I've sat in rooms in those big meetings where owners are making huge million dollar decisions on opening up another location just to be able to gain that experience. Um, and, and I've worked, you know, like I said, I've, I've worked on the line, you know what I mean? So a lot of people I've worked on the line, I've worked, you know, picking up, um, washing dishes. I've worked pretty much everywhere. And I think that was the one thing that I told Nora, as I said, 
I need to work at every position in this restaurant to be able to understand how to help everyone, to know what the job that needs to be done, and also to experience the job. Because the one thing I always tell Nora, I will never ask anyone that works with me or for me to do anything that I wouldn't do myself. So in order to be able to do that, you have to work in those positions to understand, wow, I'm working in this dish pit. It's hot back here. It's, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's, it's long hours. So that way, you know, I can, uh, I can see someone working there and saying, hey, you know what? Um, move aside. Why don't you take a break? Let me jump in. You know, those are the things that I think for myself um, help me to be able to engage and work with people that they understand that he's not, he, he's not too good or too proud to come back and do what I'm doing. And I think that helps me to be able to engage. But I think all of those experiences, like Nora said, you know, working in different restaurants at different positions um, at different times, some more stressful than others, um, that allowed me to be able to, the, to have the courage. And I think also having a partner um, that is dynamic, that's empowering you because you have to be empowered. You have to be encouraged. And she really encouraged me to, you know, pursue my dream. And, um, you know, at first people thought it was crazy to launch during the middle of the pandemic. But in my mind, I had already tested the product. I had already figured out the price points. I had already already figured out what is popular, what people are eating. I'd already looked into the the point of system, uh, sales systems. I'd already already done all that, all the back office stuff. So for me, it was kind of like, you know, if people are, if people, people want to come out, they want to engage. We as humans, it's human nature for us to engage. And so that time for me was just like, I've done the research for almost 13, 14 years. Um, if I don't do it now, when am I going to do it? You know, and at the same time, I believe in my heart, I knew I had a product, products, um, that I wanted to launch and I knew that they could be successful. It was just a matter of organizing things and being able to execute because I tell everybody you can have the best plan. You can have the best dream. You can have, you can have the best work ethic, but it comes down to execution in my business. Can you execute what you say you're going to execute in a timely fashion and be consistent about that? Not just execute for a month or two, but be consistent with the execution and that's why i think you know if we were able to launch in the pandemic and be successful at what we do also the lockdown was kind of a blessing for us in a weird way once we figured out our finances and we were like okay we can pay our bills you know the, the government had i have to give a lot of credit to dc government i think they were really great to small businesses in light of what was going on so once we kind of figured that out I think Chris was really able to delve in and do the research and 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 try different things. And you, you didn't have that pressure of, oh my gosh, it's open and it's not working. You know, you could, we could try it at home and be like, ooh. And the other thing was we, you know, we would meet up when we had a pod and you know, we would make food and drinks. And one day it was just like, oh, like I don't want to buy uh, absolute vodka. Like this isn't good, you know. There, I'm hungover the next day, or I don't feel good. And that's kind of what got Chris down the rabbit hole of black-owned spirits, and it just opened the whole world, I think, for us. Yeah, I think one thing to point out that's very, you know, that that, that that's very pertinent is that, you know. <laughs> 
I was working at Vim and Victor and um, it was a great experience for me, but I had reached that level where I know a lot of nine to fivers reach where you're just like, this is a, it's a great opportunity. I'm working with great people. I have great bosses, but this is not really what I want to do, you know? And so I had left there and and I wanted to go into consulting, restaurant consulting. So I had my consulting, I got my LLC, had that all together, um, left, I believe it was February and March. And right after that in March, the pandemic hit. So I've just left my stable job, <laughs> launched the consulting business and the pandemic and hit. Restaurants are and now restaurants <laughs> are closed. That was a, it was a, it was, it was, it was definitely a wake up call to me. It was a difficult time to kind of figure out and kind of maneuver and try to figure out what I wanted to do. So, you know, um, it left me kind of second guessing myself. Was this the right time? Maybe this wasn't the right time because I prayed about it and I asked God if this was the right time. And a lot of times when you pray about things, you ask God, they don't always happen the way that you think they happen. And we don't realize that adversity is sometimes our blessing. And I think I didn't realize the adversity that I was facing would soon become my blessing. And so I think, you know, um, in talking about how we've structured business and how we've done things, it has come with it has come with difficult times where you second guessed. And I've said to Nora, this isn't this isn't what I thought it would be, you know, and wow, this is like entrepreneurship is definitely not for the faint of heart. <laughs> You know, that we have that conversation all the time. I'm like, welcome. Yeah. And she's like, welcome. And I'm like, oh, wow. So, you know, it's, you know, but again, you know, one, I think the big, the, the biggest thing, you know, that I'm going to state is one, you know, I, we try to put God first in everything that we do. That's first. Second comes family. Um, and third comes the businesses. So in that order, you know, when you're praying about stuff and you're looking for discernment, you know, you're looking from a higher power, but you're also looking into your partner. And then also you're looking at business. So, you know, we use that as the channel where we kind of filter everything through. So I think that helps. But again, you know, um, as Nora stated and you've stated, you know, you have to, be, you have to perfect your craft. That, that's very important. Now, we've talked a little bit about what makes Bike Club special, but and we can we, I want to get back to that. But I would love, Nora, for you to talk about how Native Beauty is able to distinguish itself in what feels like a crowded field um, in D.C. There are lots of places to get a massage. There are lots of places to get a facial. Um, what makes Native Beauty special and what keeps people coming back, uh, you think, for the Native Beauty experience? Um, I think we really try to work on professionalism versus perfectionism. I think a lot of entrepreneurs get caught up in, in that. Um, but we really try to offer the best service. Um, I'm really lucky that I have a group that has been in the industry for a while too. My massage therapist has been a massage therapist for 20 years. I've been an esthetician for 20 years. My other esthetician has been an esthetician for six years. We have another massage therapist who's been doing it for 15 years. So there's a certain level of professionalism already there. Um, also, we may not be the fanciest spa, but we'll remember things like your birthday. We remember that, oh, your son graduated. Um, I know that you're allergic to almond oil. I know that you don't like the smell of rose. 
So those, those little things go a long way. Also, I think, again, we really value the client's time. Um, we really try to run on time and not keep them waiting. If they are waiting, we let them know, hey, we're running a little bit behind, but we just will accommodate you. Um, just treating people how you want to be treated. I always try to remember, I'm a customer too. I'm a client too. How do I feel about this? Um, I think also being owned by a Black woman in, who's from D.C., that has been a huge advantage to me. You know, you'll talk to someone and, oh my gosh, I went to elementary school with your brother. That's crazy. Or remember this club and this, yeah, I used to bartend there. And the little things about that, or even when people move to D.C., D.C. is a very transient city. Um, people will be like, oh, you know, I wish I could find a good vegan restaurant. And I'm like, oh, I know this one. So just making it a, a positive experience and remembering that it's not about me, it's about the client, it's about the service. Um, and even though we may not have a, a five-star, you know, um, four seasons type of spa, you're going to get a five-star level of service. And that's what we always really strive for. Also, again, just having the knowledge of the product. Um, for example, a lot of people with the natural products, everyone loves coconut oil. Oh my gosh, I'm slapping myself with coconut oil. Well, that is not for everybody's skin, especially on your face. So those are things that you mm -hmm. want to point out too, when you know your craft and people can trust you in it. So that's been a huge advantage for us. Also location, we're right across from the metro station. That's huge, that helps a lot. Awesome. And I should say I'm a customer of Native Beauty. I get massages there all the time because I love it there. Um, and it is, it does feel welcoming and it's, it's like great location. I can always find a place to park. Like it's, you know, and I can always book when I need to just, it's really is the little things I think that keep you going back, um, especially to a salon service. Now, Chris, with Bike Club, you mentioned briefly that you serve Black-owned spirits. Um, and I think you, did you mention that it's also farm to table? I don't know if you mentioned that. Um, no, I have, but I'd love no, for you to talk yeah. a little more about those two things. Like, you know, one, why you're doing farm to table and, and how you're sourcing your food and how you are choosing to source uh, the spirits you're pouring. So, you know, we're very intentional about both of those things. Um, first, I'll touch upon the black and minority owned spirits, the black owned spirits. Um, that was one of the things that we wanted to make sure um, as I was doing my soul searching and um, uh, pandemic research, I realized that the pipeline for black owned spirits, I, you know, I tried to order them. I tried to look for them and it was very hard because, you know, again, having the marketing dollars and having the money as a lot of big owned companies had they didn't have that that pipeline. They didn't have that marketability, that access, that other commercials you see running on TV for 50 times. And you're like, OK, uh, I've seen that commercial. So, you know, I wanted to be very intentional about every component of Bike Club, um, because one thing that I've learned is you got to manage the details or the details are going to manage you. So each component, whether it be a spirit, a food um, or customer service had to be managed in a certain way. And with the black owned spirits, I just started doing research Just started looking and I started um, ordering because one, I don't want to just come up to someone and say, hey, I'm a supporter of your black owned spirit. You know, can you um, give me a bottle so I can try it and taste it? No, 
I went ahead and ordered those and paid for those, paid for the shipping. And as we said, we had that pod and brought it into the pod and, and, and tasted the spirit. And as I started to taste and as I started to read and do the research, their story started to align with my story. And, you know, before we bring on any black owned spirit or any um, brand, I want to meet with the person first because I've got to figure out, do your story align with mine? Can I identify with your work ethic? Can I identify with your product? And a, a lot of times what I was realizing was there were amazing people doing innovative stuff, putting in hard work behind these black owned spirits, but they weren't getting the same marketability. And so I figured, hey, you know what? If I'm intentional about focusing on black owned spirits and being able to create um, a cocktail menu with these, being able to have these exclusively, I want to make sure I empower my community and everyone that comes there to be able to taste the hard work and the fine product that they have done. So Bike Club became a platform. That's what when we started. We became a platform for Black-owned spirits because I realized from dealing in restaurants, it's marketability. And it's being able to have direct marketability to the customer service base. I had a customer service base. They have the product. I have the market. So that pipeline started to like really connect. And once I was able to, you know, I've called people and a lot of people answered. Um, a lot of people didn't answer. Uh, it still happens today. I'll still send out and I'll be like, hey, I'm interested. And a lot of people won't call back. You can't let that stop you. You have to continue to keep pressing on and keep being intentional about that. So I think that part of it, the spirit part was there. So after doing the research, now the food part. The food part is what that's it's what I've done for 13, 14 years. So it's being able to make sure we had sustainable ingredients that were fresh, that you know, we're we're not doing frozen, we're doing fresh ingredients. And also exploring that pathway. Um, I call it my ecosystem that I'm creating. And my ecosystem that I'm creating starts with the community. So that's the Maryland, Virginia, and DC community, soon to be. Uh, 50 states, soon to be worldwide. That's my dream and that's my goal, what I'm going for. But also in that community is a Black-owned farmer, Black-owned spirits, Black butcher, Black community. So that's my 360 degree. And as I start to check off the Black-owned spirits, the Black-owned farmer, the community, the next thing I'm looking for is the butcher, the fisherman. And what we will have is we will have a 360 degree ecosystem where it starts with black, uh, it, it's a black owned pipeline. And not to say that I am against working with anyone of any other race or color. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is I want to be intentional about my community and my community all over the world is suffering, whether it's, whether it's across the, across the sea or right here in your neighborhood. Our communities have been suffering. Our education system is suffering. Our youth and our kids are suffering. And people are saying, well, why, why do you say that they're suffering? Well, we haven't been able to get the best of education for a number of number of years. And so we're behind on the eight ball. And so when different things happen and different policies go through and we celebrate it, yes, you know, it was awesome. One of the most prolific experiences to have a black president, but we just got started there. And I think a lot of times it was misconstrued where we were all feeling like we arrived. No, we didn't arrive. We just started and we're, we were behind. And so now that we're, I, I understand that. And I understand that I need to be able to one, 
fulfill my mission, which is service and provide a service to the community, but also be intentional about helping my community and not to say that I'll work with anyone. I don't, I'm, I'm, I'm not at all opposed to working with different races or different colors or different nationalities. I'm not, but I'm very intentional about helping my community because when you look into the, and understand how long the dollar stays in that, our community, it's really alarming. And you look and you see how we are marketed to and how we are a lot of the consumers, you know. So those are things that I definitely wanted to be intentional about. Have you found like a black butcher and a black farmer yet and a black fisherman? um, Not yet. Um, I've had talks. I've had talks with um, um, I work out of Nassau, which is the incubator kitchen. So um, I met a great um, entrepreneur there who does have a connection to that. So we are working through that. So a black farmer is soon to come. Um, But butcher, fisherman, those are things that I'm still looking for. Well, and I point that out because um, I think your intentionality matters. Um, And I think that you know, I'm, I'm working on a book on the black people in the wine and spirits industry, but I, I could write it about any industry because I, I don't think the general public understands how there are traditions of black people being butchers. There are traditions of black people being farmers. Um, there are traditions of black fishermen, but because there hasn't been the infrastructure and support, you know, even in a city like Washington, D.C., that is still majority black, it's hard for you to find it. Right. Um, You know, I think about where I'm from in Texas, where we all can be like, yeah, my great grandparents were farmers or my grandparents were farmers, but we are not. Right. And, you know, we are not butchers and we are not fishermen. We have we have been taken away from those crafts and we don't have the hundreds year old tradition uh, because the infrastructure just didn't support that. Um, So I think I, I, I appreciate what you're doing in part because, you know, we we've got to get back. To diversifying what it is that we do as a community, right? We we yeah. really do. We have to get back to that, and we can't do it unless we support each other. Yeah, I also think it's honoring. Uh, for me, it's also honoring you know our forefathers and ancestors that did work in those industries, did work in those crafts. Um, I think it's just it's just you know it's it's something that I need to do to honor and represent them and say thank you. You know, thank you for your hard work. Thank you for what you've done because a lot of their sacrifice and a lot of their hard work was to be able to allow us to be able to do what we do now. So for me, it's just trying to give back to them, but also to the community. Yeah. And I think we have to think about what is valuable entrepreneurship and what is valuable as a craft. Um, You know, so many people think entrepreneurship is do the tech startup and raise the million dollars and, you know, be the next Zuckerberg or be the next whatever. But, you know, your local farmer is an entrepreneur too. Uh, your local fisherman is an entrepreneur too. And those things have value. Um, and it is, it, these are things that it is worth younger people investing in and looking into. Everyone doesn't have to be an executive. Everyone doesn't need to be the next Obama for there to be community change and community development. Yeah, there's, there's so many opportunities uh, uh, that are out there for entrepreneurship. And a lot of times people are surprised when I tell them that I'm an esthetician, but I've done better than a lot of my friends who are attorneys or in the tech field or or things like that, because um, I really love what I do. I really enjoy it. And I really um, 
try to share that with other people. Um, I, I know a lot of the younger women, you know, um, look at certain industries now and are like, ooh, like we were talking about the influencer or the model or all those different things. And that's great. But there are other ways, too, to make money and um, you can be really successful in as well. Now, I'd like to get, I don't know how much time we have left, but I'd like to get a little bit more into Black women in skincare uh, with Nora, because um, there are several things that a lot of my Black girlfriends don't do, which is use sunscreen, go to dermatologists, or get facials, right? And everyone has the rumor that Black don't crack, right? And so, you know, it's like we have this belief that we don't need to take care of our skin in the same way. Um, you mentioned you shouldn't really be putting coconut oil in your face. <laughs> um, and so I would love for you to just talk about, you know, what a good, what does a good healthy skincare regimen look like um, for black women or for all women? Um, I love that you brought up sunscreen. I can't tell you how many times, even with my own husband, that I'm like, you need to wear sunscreen. Um, I think also to just consistency. Um, I find it really funny because with a lot of my younger clients, I'm telling them you're putting too many things on your face. You don't need 12 things on your face. A good cleanser, a good toner, a sunscreen, and a moisturizer. Those are four things you can start with. They don't have to be expensive, but also it depends on your lifestyle. For example, um, if you're wearing a lot of makeup, you are going to need a cleanser that is effective and that is going to be a little bit more, um, I don't want to say strong, but just a little more concentrated. Um, but if you're not, you, you shouldn't, you don't have to spend $60 on a cleanser if you're rinsing it down the drain. Um, but if you want to, that's fine too. There's, there's space for all of those different things. I think consistency, I think, um, Black women have been really blessed because our mothers and our grandmothers really knew a lot of home remedies. You know, I remember when I was little, my grandmother used to slather me in Vaseline. And I, it was, I hated it. I was like, she's crazy. But, but I do think it's a reason why my skin has held up really well. And now on Instagram and, and TikTok, they call it slugging. And I'm, it's like, it's a new trend. And I'm like, this has been around since the 1900s. Like, this is nothing new. But um, I do agree. Just being consistent in your skincare. I, I'm the mother of two children. I know it's hard sometimes to, you know, wash your face, put moisturizer on, do those things. But I try to look at it as my little form of self-care. That's my own personal spa time. I really try to be conscious of it. I'm trying to instill it in my sons as well. Like, you know, that, that it just makes you feel better. Uh, sunscreen is also very important and I will say I think we're doing a much better job now I think a lot of black women and Latino women and darker skinned women kind of shied away because for a long time it would leave you with this white cast but now we have companies like Black Girl Sunscreen um, La Roche-Posay there are a lot of brands out there that now you can find something uh, even Superboot um, there are a lot of different companies you can find something that will work for you um, also you have to be patient. It, there's no miracle out there. There's nothing that's going to go out there and say, oh my gosh, I had a new face. Oh, I instantly took 15 years off. That, that just doesn't exist. You have to try it for a little while and see how you like it. But that's always the advice that I give. 
you know, and go to a, a facialist that you feel comfortable with. If you don't feel comfortable, let them know and leave that, you know, I think a lot of us, especially in the beauty world have been kind of conditioned just to take it, you know, Oh, my stylist is running an hour behind my scalp is burning off or this person, something's burning my skin, but I'm going to sit here because beauty is pain, right? That that's a myth. I, I don't believe in that. So I, you know, ask friends, talk to other people, come to Native Beauty, um, and we can, we can get you started on your path. I think it's interesting. You said, you know, you threw sunscreen in as a part of a daily consistent routine, right? Mm -hmm. And so, you know, a lot of folks are only wearing sunscreen on vacation. I'm guilty of that. Or, Mm -hmm. um, you know, I only, you know, I put sunscreen on my face consistently, but not elsewhere. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I think it's interesting that you threw sunscreen in as a daily part of a facial routine because your face is always in the sun. Yeah. And, and your hands too. You know, I, yeah. I'm a big proponent of, I put them on my face and then I wipe the excess on my hands. And um, because when you're driving, you know, when you're out and about, also, I think the environment has changed. I don't think we're dealing with the same type of sun that we were dealing with 30, 40, 50 years ago. So that's another thing too. Um, we laugh about it all the time because he's like, oh, I can't get sunburn. And then he's like, why am I itching? I'm like, mm. That's sun damage. <laughs> That's the listening. That's the listening part. <laughs> I needed you to say that because I am also guilty of being like, what, like I was in the sun yesterday and I'm itching today because I did not reapply yes, sunscreen. After, like, like crazy. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I did not sunburn for like the first thirty years of my life or longer. Yeah. Like it took. Mm-hmm. You know, I never got a sunburn ever. And now I will, I will sunburn past a certain amount of time. And so you're right. The environment is different. It does not matter if you are dark skinned, you have to use sunscreen. We have sun damage too. We have skin cancer too. Yes. That's very important. And I can't stress this enough. If, if something is going on with your skin and people are saying, Oh, don't worry about it. It's not a big deal. You know, Keep going, keep pressing, find a different dermatologist, find a different esthetician, um, because there are so many instances that we know, of course, especially in the medical field, where we are dismissed. Um, I mean, when I went to the cosmetology school, people told you that black skin was thicker and less sensitive and, and you know, was oilier. And there was, and that's not true. That, that's a myth. There was Again, we're not all the same. Everybody's skin is different. Stress affects your skin. Diet affects your skin. Hormones affect your skin. Environment. Um, I was a long time ago. I went to Anchorage, Alaska, and when I tell you, my skin and hair were magnificent. And my girlfriend said, "Yeah, it's because of the water. The the, the purity of the water changes everything." And so it's little things like that that you have to pay attention to. Absolutely. And then what about, you know, the aisles are full of all the supplements, right? You know, you've got the retinols and the, and the things like that. Um, is, is, does everyone need those things? Is there a point in time where everyone should be using it? Should we all be using it sooner? Um, I do really get excited about some of the serums. Um, usually I would say after 35, you, you need a little extra help sometimes, um, of course, if you eat like a raccoon or you, you know, you don't get a lot of rest, 
no supplement, no product in the world is going to counter that. So I think the first thing is health. You know, you, you have to, you know, and that doesn't mean being like a monk when it comes to food, but just be aware of what you're putting in your body and what you're um, um, intaking. But I do think usually over 35, I love retinol. Um, I love hyaluronic acid. Um, but you have to make sure you're putting them on appropriately. I think a lot of people are very heavy handed with product. Most products, if it's a great product, you only need maybe a P or M&M size of it to do your whole face. Um, if you have a friend with great skin, you know, talk to them and see what their regimen is. Now, sometimes it's the gene pool. You're, you're just blessed and, you know, some people are just born with it, but you'd be surprised, especially now there are so many things that are not as invasive. For example, people don't get facelifts anymore. That that's that's old school now. Now it's Botox and fillers and laser and lights and product and all those different things. So um, I think that's a big one. I definitely um, am a huge fan of retinols after 35. Um, I love vitamin C, but you have to make sure that it is a um, stable product and that you're using it in the right way. Meaning, you know, you don't want to mix it with too many things. Again, I can't stress enough. I feel like so many people put too many things on their face and then they wonder why their skin is uh, inflamed or irritated. And that's a great I blame, thing to get a facial. I, yeah, I blame YouTube. It's that like Korean 12 step. And I'm like, it is. <laughs> I'm like, 12 step? <laughs> I agree. And also natural skincare. I had a girl come in with irritated skin because she was mashing up berries and putting it on a, on her face as a mask. And I'm like, no, honey, no, you can't do that. You, you have to be a buffer. There's a reason that products are regulated. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So the, the most important thing I'm getting out of this is like, trust the experts um, and less can be more when it comes to your skincare. Now to close us out, we've only got a couple of minutes. So I'd like for each of you to kind of lightning round, answer this question. If you could go back in time and give yourself advice when you started your business, what would you say to yourself? Ooh, that's a good one. Um, take advice with a grain of salt. Um, every, all advice is not good advice. Um, a lot of people really tried to talk me out of what I wanted to do. Uh, people didn't think it was sustainable or that it was just a trend. Um, but you have to believe in yourself. You, if you don't believe in yourself and you don't believe in the business, no one else will. Even when that you're getting a bunch of no's, you have to persist. Uh, and you can't be afraid to fail. It, 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 you're not going to be able, you won't, you won't understand success without failure in a lot of ways. So I think that's what I would tell myself. And also, don't be so hard on yourself. I, I dealt with a lot of mom guilt. I, I can't speak for Chris, but I know as a mother, um, when Kentonji Brown Jackson said the piece about, you know, I know there have been times as a mother that I haven't done what I, I didn't think I was doing my best. That, that hit me so hard because I, there, I've missed a lot of games. I've missed a lot of recitals. You know, and now I'm in a place where I am able to be a part of those things. But I really beat myself up when I was younger for that. I would say um, for me, save and plan. Save, you know what I mean? Save. Um, It's underestimated how, you know, how much money that you think that you will need 
You need to save for the rainy days. You need to save for the unexpected things, the miscellaneous things. Um, and so, you know, I would just tell my younger self, just save, continue to save throughout the whole process. Awesome. Well, thank you both for joining me. I greatly appreciated it. It was good to get to talk to people whose businesses I frequent all the time when I'm in DC. Um, and I love how y'all are able to make it work um, as a partnership. Uh, thank you all for listening to Getting Common. If you ever miss an episode, uh, you can catch it on Voice America Network or anywhere that podcasts are played. Um, feel free to email me through the show page or you can reach me at Carla C on all social media. And I will post the websites for both Native Beauty and Bike Club DMV so that you can frequent their businesses. Thank you all for listening. And thank you again to my guests. I greatly appreciate it. Thank you for tuning in to Getting Common with Professor Carlos Chapman. Please join us again next Wednesday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time and 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel for another thoughtful discussion.